The views and opinions expressed by guests on Connected do not necessarily reflect those of Side Street Studio Arts. Episodes may contain adult language. Hey everyone, welcome to Connected. I'm Nick Mataragas, uh, the Assistant Director from Side Street Studio Arts, and uh, we're here to have conversations with members of the arts community. Joining me today is Vicki Eisenstein. Vicki is uh, an actor. I'm waving, even though oh, you're this waving. is not a visual medium. I'm waving at the people. I thought I thought I said your name wrong and you were waving to tell me I said it wrong. No, you got it perfect, perfect. which is... I actually quite amazing feat in itself. <laughs> so Vicky is an actor, an improviser, a writer, a vlogger, a YouTube personality. Um, did I miss anything? I mean, I feel like there's so many things, but I feel like you hit the main ones. So we're good. Good, good. Um, so Vicky, you you uh, have had actually quite a bit of traction on YouTube over the years. Um, so I kind of want to start with that because as a as an actor um i'm not much with the youtubes as as you will but you you really hit hit a stride for a while there with youtube How, what was that like for a while there <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah no um honestly uh so basically I was doing a lot of improv and sketch comedy in Chicago. And then, you know, it was kind of like a thing of, well, in order to get representation, I felt like I needed a portfolio. So I started my YouTube channel as a portfolio for my acting. And then, you know, I was doing it and I got kind of into it. So I started vlogging. I started making all sorts of other videos. And, you know, I had a couple of videos that actually went quite big. And then I was like, okay, I'm really enjoying this. So um, I put a lot into it and it's just really hard to balance constantly creating and feeding the beast versus like, you know, trying to have like a balanced life and also be working on stage productions and also be working on your day job and be trying to audition. And so basically, if you want to do YouTube, you have to make it your life. That's what I'm here to tell everyone today. That's my thesis statement, I think. No, it's not. It's fine. You don't have to, but it's it'll help you if you do make it your life and that's what you want. Make it your life. So basically she's saying sacrifice your family, sacrifice all those you care about mm -hmm. and just focus mm -hmm. on YouTube. And some, yeah, the, for the number one demand of the YouTube algorithm is to sacrifice your firstborn child. So just as so long as you do that, you will be fine. OK, so speaking of the YouTube algorithm, how, how much does that or has that played into what content you created? The idea of this is something that generates viewers. To be honest, um, I had a lot of views and a lot of hits from looking at my analytics from trying to hit algorithmically the things that I knew would kind of pop for me. Um, and in doing that, I wasn't as happy. And that's kind of what happened for me was that I decided, okay, I would rather be producing things that I love and that I'm happy to do. And that make me happy to write that make me happy to like film and that I'm not in the edit thinking, oh, this is stupid. You know, it's, that's not where you want to be as an artist. And if you have a channel, that's like your personal channel that you're not like already making a bunch of money off of, which I, I mean, I never was. So what's the point in constantly catering to someone else when you can be doing your own artistic thing and actually be happy about what you're doing? That's where I ended up. That's great, actually. And I, to be fair uh, for our listeners, uh, we know each other a little bit and we've had kind of a similar conversation about. Just look, uh, again, for this non-visual medium, I'm holding up my fingers to show a little bit. <laughs> Guys, she's used to being on video. It's it's she's got to get used to the audio medium. I'm on video right now. If I turn my video off on our Zoom call. I would probably do better at not being so visual, but this is all I, I even put on my purple background light for you. Okay. It's a great light guys. Thank if you, you. You should be able to see this beautiful purple light. Uh, it's <laughs> great. <laughs> 
$70 on Amazon. I don't have an affiliate link because I didn't sell enough on Amazon when I had an affiliate link. So I can't put that in the description down below, but maybe Nick can, and maybe Nick's company can make a buck off this. So you guys check the description down below, look for the affiliate links, make sure to use our special code for 5%, 10% off. I don't know what the deal is. I didn't make it, but I'm here to tell you as a corporate shill, do it. My God, it's it's like old hat for you with this with this, that that kind of perfect YouTube format of check out the, the description or the link below. Wow. <laughs> it's funny because, um, you know, I've helped other people with their channels and like, you know, for my day job, I've helped some companies with them. And it's so funny to watch a person who's not used to doing it and <laughs> to just see them awkwardly stumble through all of that and it's like oh you just made me never want to come back to your channel (laughs) (laughs) that sounds like me uh to be honest (laughs) what are you talking about nick i am everybody click this the affiliate link (laughs) (laughs) oh now i gotta make an affiliate link oh boy um it's terrible it's terrible that and then you feel like this sort of um responsibility to some company that you don't care about that you just made the video because they sent you a free product but yet you feel responsibility like you should be selling things for them because you took it on right no and i've seen that you've i've you've had conversations about that before where you're like they're sending me this thing i've got to do a video about it um and i've seen other like youtube videos where you can tell like people are like uh, there's one series that i actually i watch where the guy's like i don't get money from these people. This is what I like. And then he's like, thankfully I'm not getting money from these people because I do not like this, but it's, (laughs) it it is a weird thing. Like it's, it's kind of a holdover from TV in a lot of ways because like, uh, you know, that whole product placement thing and um, like cooking shows are like, you know, Oh, we're using the T fall pans today and things like that. Um, So it's kind of of interesting that way. So I think I'm lucky in that I, Honestly, I'm in a position where it's like, you know, no one's really, I think I've had maybe one or two actual paid brand deals. Like, and so usually they're just sending me free product. And so, you know, it's easy enough to like not have to put too much effort into that or to just be like, yeah, okay, this was a thing on your story. And then be like, all right, bye. (laughs) (laughs) There's a different, definitely a different level of um, effort when it comes to different products. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> That's interesting. Yeah. Sometimes they send you a contract and you have to like really do everything. Um, and that's like, if you don't really like or want that product, why do it? You know, especially when you're in a position like me where you're not like, this isn't your livelihood and you're not making money so much off of this. Like I get a check from Google, like what, every couple of months now, like, cause I'm not focusing on it <laughs> so i still have to pay, i still have to pay google for stuff so i don't know what that's like so i, I mean that's you still sorry you 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 lagged a bit there oh i have to pay google for stuff so i don't mm. i don't know what that's like getting a check from google even if it is small um, oh well you, you get to take your google bucks and bring it to the google store and then they will sell you the google hat <laughs> no oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, that was a bad joke i don't know it's uh, been so long so you 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 mentioned you had your start in improv in chicago um could you tell me a little bit more about how that happened like did you always know you wanted to go into comedy or no i discovered i wanted to go into comedy while i was doing a talk show in south korea so just like you know anybody uh, naturally how anybody would you know just one of those things that happens when you're like learning lines in korean and you discover that like oh i can be funny and they can edit me so i'm funnier (laughs) oh that's beautiful somebody should do that for me um okay so (laughs) how did you end up on a talk show in south korea i was um i was actually like my best friend in high school uh, was Korean American. And then going to college, um, I did China studies because like China, 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 taking over the world, future of the economy, yada, yada. Uh, and so I was in China for a bit, but then I was like, I'm, I've always been interested in Korea. I want to go to Korea. So I felt like, you know, I was married to China, but Korea was my mistress. And so <laughs> I ended up in Korea um, for a summer program. And then I loved it so much that I 
moved there after college, ostensibly to teach English, more like just to hang out and party. Um, (laughs) And yeah, while I was there, I ended up actually hanging out and partying with a girl who was on this talk show. And so I ended up on the talk show too. I applied. It was so silly. Like everything I know about how entertainment works now, I'm like, I have no idea how I ended up on that show because to apply, I submitted a picture of myself, like in a fedora with sunglasses on, like I thought I was hot shit. Okay. I really did. I thought I was the coolest person on the world. Like this was like 2008. Okay. Like this was the height of like women wearing a fedora and like a vest in clubs. Okay. Was that a thing? Was that just me? I don't know. Anyway. So I think that was a thing. (laughs) It was a thing. I swear it was a thing. Okay. Listeners. If you ever, if you were a lady wearing a fedora, uh, subscribe. (laughs) Yeah. All I know how to do is call to actions. Um, but anyway, so, so yeah, so I ended up on this talk show in South Korea and I had a lot of fun. And um, at the point where, um, you know, there was a whole transition of power in North Korea, my parents were all concerned, like, oh, my God, are they going to bomb Seoul? What's going to happen? So they were like, please come home. We'll like pay for you if you want to take classes or something. And I was like, okay so I came home and I was like okay I want to like study comedy and they were like uh okay I guess uh fine and so they (laughs) they paid for a couple of um comedy classes at Second City for me and that's when I got into like really no that's not when I got into improv oh my gosh I don't even have my story correctly sorry I was doing improv that that was part of my thing I was in an expat like a bilingual expat improv troupe in Korea. I haven't talked about this in so long that I forgot about it. Um, yeah. So we would do scenes like in English and in Korean, we had like expats from English speaking countries around the world. And we had like Korean, uh, members as well. And so we were doing like short form improv and like, sometimes we'd explore long form, but we were doing short form improv in Korea. Uh, and it was so much fun. Soul city improv. I, they might be still around. I need to check on that. Uh, <laughs> oh, that's super cool. Mm-hmm. So then you came back and you started studying at second city. Did you go through the whole program there? I did. Yeah. I, uh, I, I footed the bill. <laughs> <laughs> what was what was that like work uh, studying in Second City? It was great. Um, honestly, I really enjoyed it. I'm a person who loves academic structures. I'm a person who loves like leveling up. I like video games like Stardew Valley. I like to like accrue my like points. But, you know, um, at the end of the day, it was like very much an establishment. And if you didn't particularly fit the mold of what they were casting at that time, you didn't get cast in that thing. And so that's part of what led me to doing my own stuff, to making my orange, my own short films, and then to doing like comedy sketches on YouTube. Yeah, no. And I think that's an interesting point about second city. I think, um, for those that are part of the community, uh, there is that kind of reputation of second city is their thing. Like, they have the second city format. That's what you go through. That's what you learn. And yeah, I mean, it's kind of what it is, um, you know, and then there was IO that was their own thing until they died. Um, and and uh, then there's the annoyance, which is basically like, you know, the middle finger of improv, which is amazing in some ways. Um, yeah. So you did, you, you were part of uh, improvised Jane Austen. Is that right? Was that one of yeah. the things you did? What would, tell me about that. Oh my goodness. So, I mean, growing up in high school, like my favorite book was Pride and Prejudice. Like I've always loved like Jane Austen and that whole like era and just, oh my goodness. Like I'm overwhelmed by what to say right now. I'm simply (laughs) effusive. Um, But what can I say? So uh, yeah, I heard about, you know, improvised Jane Austen and I knew they were having auditions. I was still doing second city stuff and my classes actually were conflicting with their rehearsal schedule. So I didn't actually make it in necessarily. Like I got told I could but like because I had the classes they were like no you can't miss some of our rehearsals so I kind of hung around and I went to their shows 
And I was a fangirl and actually did stand up to open for one of their shows before I was actually part of them. Um, And you know what? I think it's the same as anything else in life. Like if you really want something and you're hanging around and you're showing you're interested, people are going to like let you in. Um, It's just what happens because that's, you know, that's what people want. And I think that's what a lot of people who are like trying to be successful or make it or get into certain groups, like you can't just go and audition and that's it. Like you have to like still be following it and liking and doing all the stuff to show that like, okay, because then you're going to be top of mind when they have their next round of auditions when they're letting more people in. So, so basically be a stalker. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I like, I mean, it's best if you get there to the theater, you know, an hour early, kind Mm -hmm. of stake it out. You make sure you say hi, kind of just, if you have a, um, a large ornamental fan, you can stick in front of your face (laughs) and then you stand in the green room and you peer through the feathers of your fan. And then, you know, someone notices they're like, that's a person behind that fan. You say, hello, I admire your work. I feel that like that comes from real life experience. I really do. <laughs> so, what are you talking about? I don't have an ornamental fan like that. How dare you? You have no proof of your allegations, <laughs> sir. <laughs> so um, unfortunately, I never saw a show, but uh, could you maybe explain kind of what improvised Jane Austen was format wise? Oh, yeah, sure. Um, so it was cool. We did like very like narrative style improv where it was basically taking um, a Jane Austen style story and we would go through the whole arc and like basically improvising a whole novel. Um, so we would usually within the first like two or three scenes, you would have figured out, okay, who's our main character? Who's our heroine? Who's the love interest? Like what's going on with her family? Are we maybe going like kind of a divergent route and more following a side character? Like what kind of issues are we tackling? Like we kind of feel that all out. We would get a suggestion of like, um, a letter of the alphabet we get to so like pride and prejudice sense and sensibility are mm. both you know using the one letter so we would do like that we'd be like what's the letter of the alphabet and we get two words off it and then so whatever it was like quirky and queen or whatever it was you know so we would start off maybe we start off with the queen you know um and then there'd be like a quirky towns girl I, I don't know um but like you'd find you know something and then you know you'd go and you get your ribbons for your hair that was always fun to do um you know so we play with all these tropes and then we'd use we'd have like very like modern conversations as well while we were you know in that time frame and in that place too that's awesome i i it's interesting because it, there is a like people talk about and you mentioned earlier short form and long form improv and um i'm not going to get into too much detail on that because uh, i spoke with someone else where we talked a little bit about it the difference between short form and long form but there's also kind of like it's technically long form, but it, it's almost like its own thing, which is this kind of format driven improv, like an improvised Jane Austen or like improvised Shakespeare company, or, um, mm-hmm. you know, people do a horror movie. Yeah. Or whatever. I think they call it like genre, genre right. improv, genre improv. Right. Or um, the group uh, twisties, I think d- does like a genre improv as well. Um, mm-hmm. But like, uh, do you find that it's easier or harder when you have to fit within like the genre of, of, of a certain thing? both (laughs) that is a fair answer Um, like i mean honestly if you aren't beholden to a genre and like a specific kind of structure and understanding with the group you can just do whatever pops in your mind and if you're stuck like you don't have to worry about it you just sweep that and like start something crazy and new but if you're like in that narrative and you're in a scene and you're like i gotta make this work it's a little more work sometimes you know mm-hmm. and if you aren't as familiar with that genre uh-oh <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah like fake it um i'm not i'm not like the hugest marvel fan like i mean i like some like i loved wandavision don't get me wrong um but i was invited to be part of a marvel based improv troupe at one point and like to be honest maybe tmi i was going through some depression at the time and i was like yeah this will get me out of the house Um, and so I did it and it was really hard for me because like, 
everyone always supported and loved my moves, but I didn't really know the universe that well. So I didn't know what anybody was talking about most of the time. I was just like going in there. I felt like I was a, um, what do you call that machine that like most steamroller? No, is that a steamroller? The thing that makes the cement smooth and yeah. Is that why they call it steamrolling a scene? Okay, yeah. So I was like a steamroller. <laughs> yeah. I felt like. So yeah. So I would say, yeah, sometimes it's better, sometimes it's not. You can lean on conventions if you know them. If you're not certain, you don't, you can't. So <laughs> that's that's interesting. I mean, I that's a valid point too. Like I would have trouble doing Jane Austen, but I would not have trouble doing Marvel. So I'm the opposite that mm-hmm. way. Yeah. <laughs> you, you you brought up a point when it comes to improv, and I think it's a term that uh, improvisers use a lot, use a lot, but I don't think other people understand is that the term steamroller, which is mm-hmm. basically somebody who comes into a scene and just, well, for lack of a better term, just wrecks it because it's just going to become about them. Yeah. It's that idea of like, you know, I could steamroll someone in a meeting. Like, you know, sure. if I have my coworker talking and I just be like, I have to make a point. And I start talking over them and make the conversation about that. Like, so yeah, we do use that a lot in improv. Yeah. And I think Is that that, an improv based podcast or no, whether... no, it's oh, okay. So any arts, so improv counts as part of it, but, um, okay. Gotcha. But yeah, if we go to inside baseball, people are just gonna be like, what, uh, <laughs> Baseball, you see, is a sport where people have a ball and a no. I'm just kidding. Um, I, I don't like sports with balls, to be honest. Like they're always flying at you. <laughs> that uh, that's a valid point. I don't know if there are any. Well, maybe bowling because they fly away from you in bowling. Oh, I can handle that. Right. Right. Okay. We found Perfect. one. Awesome. So no, but to be fair, my parents have gotten really, in, I'm steamrolling you now. My parents have gotten really into pickleball and I actually really enjoy it. That's the one that's basically badminton, but with paddles and a ball, right? It's, it's like tennis had like a court that's like half of the length and it's like a wiffle ball type of thing. And it's like, it's great for older people and for me. <laughs> <laughs> just older people and you no one else should ever play pickleball um, well i would love like if someone else would like i would love to play with them but right now my only partners are my parents and i have to drive to arizona for that <laughs> that's a long drive it's it's not as long as it used to would have been because actually something i do want to talk to you about is you were chicago based for a long time um mm-hmm. and then you did the thing that everybody says they're gonna do and you moved out to la and that's where you are now um what what a what led to that decision and b what was that transition like i mean i always knew i wanted to be not in chicago i mean i mentioned before i was in you know seoul i lived in china a little bit before that like i feel like really nomadic at heart i never have even like except for like my parents house like i'd never lived anywhere for you know more than a couple years um and so like for me um i mean i even was in la actually a year in between like because i was in korea for five years and i was in la for a year in between all that um sorry it's so hard to go through my whole story um (laughs) so so yeah but like coming here a second time i think that's something too that people don't really talk about too much but like for a lot of people the first time they come to la it doesn't stick like they can't figure out how to like make it here, how to survive, how to like, you know, balance their desire to be an actor and also to like actually make money. And so um, it was really hard for me, like after those few years to come back even because there was that fear of I'm doing it again. And is it just going to be a repeat of the past where, you know, the first time I was here in LA, I was doing a lot of like background acting. I was, you know, doing a lot of independent film stuff, but like still nothing that, you know, I, I had to get you know, uh, either a full-time job or I had to go back home to the parents was basically what was happening at the end of that. And so I was just like really afraid to come out here again, that might end up being sort of the same thing. But luckily, since I'd been in Chicago, um, again, I had kind of, um, 
up-leveled my skills in like video production and stuff. And so coming back out, I had that as well. And not only trying to make it like as a performer, I could also shoot videos and I could, you know, edit videos and stuff. So I've been doing a lot of like production editing as well. And that's helped me immensely to be able to like rely on that. That's, that's great. And I think, I think that kind of brings up another great point of, um, when you work in the entertainment industry, it's a lot of it is about kind of, you know, having to do it yourself a lot of the times. And so like finding those, developing those skills that make it so you can, like it's that people talk about like the hustle mentality, uh, both positively and negatively, but like, it's that idea of like, I got to do this myself because somebody's got to do it for me and it's not going to be anybody but me. Yeah. Oh, that was so much of, You know, I started off um, when I was in Korea was when I did my first short film. I wrote it and I, you know, I had a friend who was a student who was shooting it and then he had to drop out partway through. So I had to finish it. And then, you know, I paid another like expat in order to edit it and at the end of that, I was like, you know what, this, like, I can just learn every part. Why not? Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, my next short film that I did, which was kind of a sketch actually, but I still submitted it to some festivals and actually gotten one. So yay, yay for me. Um, so like the next one I did, I was just like, yep, I'm going to film it. I'm going to edit it. And it's so funny. The first like video that you edit takes you so many weeks And then as you get used to it, you're like, okay. And then it's like, it's still going to take you so many weeks, but it's going to be so much better. (laughs) (laughs) I can knock out a thing like that. That's for sure. But like, I can still take a long time and it can be amazing now, you know? You can turn stuff around very quickly. Like you, you will present something because we're in a writer's group together um, mm-hmm. and you'll present something uh, one week in the writer's group. And then like by the weekend, you'll have like the video of it out. And I'll be like, what? Okay. Well, that's nice. Mm-hmm. Um, so what yeah. was, you mentioned your first film, your first short film that you made. What was, what was that? It was like a cute little romantic comedy um, short film about how like, an expat in Korea was like having a really hard time. Oh, was this autobiographical? Maybe (laughs) Uh, was having a hard time and, you know, like waking up with pizza boxes and soju bottles all around her. And then, you know, like was late to work. Yada, yada. Um, So I just watched the Seinfeld episode with the yada, yada, yada. (laughs) And I feel like I'm saying it constantly now. Um, So I guess I'm really obsessed with Seinfeld again. It's happening. Um, But basically, yeah. So this uh, this first short film I did was kind of autobiographical, kind of not. Like I met a guy. We then got to like explore the markets in Korea. We like went out together. It was like changed my life around. Yay. Cute little romantic comedy. Didn't really go much of anywhere. I still have to. I don't know where it is now. I got to find it. <laughs> oh my gosh. Um, yeah. Oh my, I hope it's not on one of the hard, you know how like throughout the years you have hard drives and some of them just disappear. I hope it's not on one of those. Oh. Uh, wow. Um, so do you look back at like your old work now that, you know, you've been doing this for a while, do you ever look back and just go, what was I doing or anything like that? Or are you just like, no, that was just a phase. That I went through. I mean, I was born a perfect artistic genius, so I don't know Fair where enough. I'm going with this question, Nick. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, but I think that's like everyone. When you look back at what you first did, you can very easily like look at it and pick it apart. And uh, honestly, like while I was doing it, I was looking at it and I was picking it apart. And mm-hmm. I think. Um, was it Ira Glass has that amazing speech about how, you know, when you start your taste versus your skill, there's that huge gap and it takes years and years and years for you, for your skill to get to your taste level. Um, I'm still not quite there, but I'm a lot closer, you know? So, um, I think, yeah, looking back, you're like, oh, dang, I didn't know to have, you know, um, uh, like 
a, a dead cat or whatever on my on my um <laughs> on my mic like I didn't know to have like a windshield protection I didn't know like to put my camera here I didn't know and looking back you're like oh I could have done this this and that but whatever it is what it is that's the video it's out there people have liked it or they haven't and so we're just moving on and you know my story was funny I liked it I like my jokes still I think that's the thing as a comedian I just look back and I'm like that joke's still good and that's what matters to me (laughs) (laughs) that's awesome also just so people know a dead cat is not an actual dead animal it is a cover yes Yes. you take a cat it's like a violin string you take a cat and you wrap it around your microphone and upon wrapping it around, your microphone is immune to the wind. Uh, listeners, there is a reason we have the, the disclaimer at the beginning of the episodes. Um, <laughs> so, <laughs> is, it a, is it a dead cat? Yeah, is they it, call it a dead cat. Is there a different thing? Okay. I don't know why all of a sudden my brain was like, no, you're using the wrong term. It's like a mouse or a rat. Or something else, not cat. That, that I hate what my brain does. That my brain does that all the time. That ha- I think that happens to everyone at least okay. a couple times a day, or <laughs> if not, just people like us. Um, so you're you still you still putting out sketches and great stuff. Um, it's interesting Thank because you. I think you're welcome. Uh, you know, in the writers group, I think we we both write comedy, but it's like our approach to comedy is a little bit different. I think it's. It's more uh, you tap into like the zeitgeist a little bit more. And I just I just had to use the word zeitgeist there. But like a lot of your stuff is um, referencing to things that are happening like right now, you know, Um, and also to to a an area of pop culture that like I don't really focus on as much like um, (laughs) anytime you and one of the other guys in in our writers group guy named Robert start talking about any (laughs) YouTube celebrity or yeah. or <laughs> cryptocurrency i'm just like sitting there lost what 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 are those things why do those things um like attract you comedy wise so so much i think for me i like i'm just very much into the genre of like com of uh of not com what oh my goodness can, can you just just cut my worst babble salad right now make my mouth stop i don't want it make it stop okay we're starting again now okay you're gonna keep that in aren't you <laughs> okay um <laughs> so i think for me um i've always absolutely loved parody like mm-hmm. parody is my jam i've always like laugh the most at it I've always just like really like that's where I feel like the ground's most fertile for me to actually come up with something um and to make jokes and so for me like being able to look at what other people are doing and what people are like currently talking about and then to make fun of that is kind of the easiest way to like come up with content and especially if it's like another youtube video it's like oh okay i see in general they're doing this that not and like that's kind of funny because of this so we can just twist it like that and like let's look at this we can look at the general idea we can look at the specifics of what they're doing too and so yeah i think just for me um also, it, it comes back to like having had to have done so much like SEO, like magic keyword, blah, blah, blah. Like, you know, you, you keep trying to optimize for that stupid algorithm. And so, um, yeah, I think I got used to doing that. And then so that's where I find that my YouTube ideas specifically live. And then when I can get like a live sketch that I did that had nothing to do, if I can find a way to like make it work, then I will love to put it on the YouTube too. Cool. You mentioned parody and um, is that I think everyone, well, I shouldn't say everyone, but a lot of people who end up in comedy have certain like pieces or films or TV shows that like when they were growing up, they were like, this is the thing that really made me want to do this. Was there something that like did that for you? Um, 
I mean, like I look back and I can tell you, like I was a Monty Python freak, like I loved Monty Python. Okay. Um, and you know, of course I watched like back in the day when, you know, like I loved when Jim Carrey was on SNL and like the Will Ferrell days and all that, that was like, I loved that stuff. Um, so like that stuff was great, but I never thought I could actually do this for you know anything approaching a living <laughs> like right. the comedy wasn't for like maybe writing I thought like I could do the writing but I never thought I could do the performance aspect until um like I said I was on that talk show and then it was like oh yeah I could perform <laughs> well what's interesting is I think a lot of people and you can correct me if I'm wrong on this but it seems like a lot of people from on the outside think that um everyone in comedy is a performer, but not everyone is a writer. Whereas it's kind of the opposite where everyone has to be a writer, but not everyone is a performer. You gotta be, even if you're like, I would say most improvisers, like they talk about like some improvisers are like writers, like when they're improvising, but like, we're all coming up with material, mm -hmm. right? Like it's, that's what writing is. Writing is thinking, writing is coming up with characters, like, a scribe can put it down for you, but you're still the writer if you say it, right? Right. So I think that like, yeah, in, in the end of the day, like comedians were all right. And that's why I get so, okay, there's people who are like put up their nose at improvisers or put up their nose at stand-up comedians. But you know, there's like, it's like the something in the Jets. Who is the, who are the two people the competing? Sharks, the Sharks and the Jets. Sharks and Jets. Okay, never saw it. No, it's a reference. Um, So basically that's what people look at like improvising and stand-up comedy is like these people at each other's throats, but we need both. Um, it happens. And like for comedy, like you have like, okay, yeah, you can get a ghostwriter. And a lot of these bigger people apparently have ghostwriters found that out. And I was like, that's crazy. But, um, you know, like they still come up, they, they at the end are the executive writer in that sort of relationship. Yeah. And that's, that's a good point. And like you mentioned before SNL and like, you know, half the people that end up in the cast were writers on the staff before they ended up on the show. And the other half, when they get hired, they're hired both as a cast member and as a writer. And so like a lot of people don't realize that. Um, kind of going back to talking about watching comedy. Um, do you find it? Do you still watch a lot of comedy? Do you find it more difficult now that you're kind of in it, like writing and creating to watch other people's stuff? Or what is that like for you? I think. Okay, so it's interesting because um, when I was younger, I was an ice skater mm -hmm. and I this was like back when it was like Nancy Kerrigan, Tanya Harding, Christy Yamaguchi, and I loved it. Absolutely loved it. And I watched all the Winter Olympics, watched everything. And then I quit ice skating. Um, it was just too hard to like be getting up at like, you know, 4am in order to get on the ice at five and like be skating every morning before junior high. And so when I quit that, it was too painful to watch ice skating at that point, because I had given up on my dream of, you know, making to the Olympics or whatever. Um, with comedy, it's like, sometimes it's hard because you're watching something and you're like, Ah, oh, if only I thought of that idea, if only I was a writer on that show, if I, you know, but for the most part, like, I don't have a problem. Like, I love comedy, and I'll be watching that day in and day out. It's a little bit harder to watch, um, like, sketch shows necessarily, because for sketch shows, I feel like because I do that so much for my own channel and stuff, I'm kind of like the writer part of my brain and director part of my brain is like constantly on and like working while I'm watching it. And so it's hard to like turn that off while I'm watching it, I think. Um, but like, I don't have a problem with like longer form comedy. It's just, okay. yeah, I do. I do find it's like the same as like, if I've been like heavily directing for like, 
the past week or so or whatever, then I have a hard time even watching like movies or something because I'm like, oh, that's a cool shot choice or, oh, we're doing that or what? You know what I mean? <laughs> so. Yeah, I totally know what you mean because you're like, oh, the composition in this one is just perfect. Like, how do they yeah, do that? Yeah, and like, like it's color really, it or whatever. takes you yeah. like maybe 10 minutes of the movie to like actually start just like mm-hmm. becoming involved in it. <laughs> that's interesting because I think like uh, I, the reason I asked is because like I – I still watch comedy, but I don't watch as much of it. And I think for me, uh, I'm very critical of it at this point. Like I'm like, it's not that I'm like, I can do better, but sometimes I'll watch something and be like, well, that was lazy. (laughs) You know? Yeah. It is really hard to not critique it Mm -hmm. really hard. And it's, I don't think it's fair to it. And I'm trying, I'm not trying to, but it is really hard to not have a super critical eye because we're going over our own pieces with such Mm -hmm. a super critical eye. And that's, that is hard. That's why I think it's like, maybe that's why I'm so into Seinfeld right now. It's just like, okay, this was that era. This was that time. This was, you know what I mean? Like I can excuse it all with that. I don't right. know. <laughs> well, also not only was it, is it, it has that, that buffer of time, but it also, you know, with a show like Seinfeld, it was considered the pinnacle at that time. So like, you know, it's different than like going back and watching like, um, and I loved this show when I was a kid, so I'm not knocking it completely, but like going back and watching reruns of Alf, you know, like that's not, you know, the pinnacle of comedy going back and watching that. I'm sure is probably like, Ooh, but Seinfeld, yeah, no, yeah. It, it's harder too with like, yeah, with the more modern stuff, you're like, oh, you just, okay. So I'm not going to go too into it, but, um, watch this comedian do a bit on comedy central. That was basically who's on first, but it was like about cell phones and stuff. And I got like, angry I got angry I was like you're just ripping off who's on first you know <laughs> you're just doing fucking Abbott and Costello you lazy hack piece of shit like I got so angry like I shouldn't be that angry why am I that ang- I'm not Abbott and Costello like why am I that angry I don't know like because you but to know me, it's like I- what because you know because you know what it is and and I think yeah. that's the funny thing like um you know you can pay homage to something but you have to be like open about it and i think from the way you're describing it, it's kind of like they were playing it off it as their own their own thing it seemed like it yeah there was no credit to it there was no like understanding and then like i know a bunch of like kids who watched that probably hadn't seen the original and now they think that's so funny and amazing it's like no you like took it play by play from that original like <laughs> amazing wonderful sketch that i watched growing up you know right. yeah something that was very much like to think about the abbott, abbott and costello who's on first bit it's like it's all about the sentence structures and the, the word structure and how they did that and that there's something so brilliant but also very refined about how they did that Oh, it was amazing. And I mean, all that stuff came out of like vaudeville and they were doing it for years and years on stage before it was even on, you know, the television. And that's something that we've lost too, like that, Mm -hmm. you know, it's, and I think you do see a better quality of work from people who have been like doing their art on stage for a while before they come to, uh, Mm -hmm. you know, film. And also I think there's an art to just wordplay in in itself and like, the composition of words. I think a lot of people when they first get into comedy don't understand how important the composition of words is like where the words go and how they're ordered and spaced and how much that matters. Dude, I've got an Oscar Wilde quote that I used as my senior quote. (laughs) And it's hold on, hold on. I'm at a computer. I'm just going to pull it up. Um, uh was it about (laughs) why the hell was this it was basically like i spent all morning taking out a comma and all afternoon putting it back (laughs) (laughs) that's fantastic (laughs) why would i choose that as it was just something that i felt like was like yes this is the process and this is who i am like everyone else was like oh the places will go and i was like i have labored over my writing and my work 
do you this is another like kind of along the same topic of like not understand like are there people now that are coming up in comedy that are starting to blow up as you age as a comedian uh and trust me you're nowhere near as old as me so um, i'm not calling you old but like as you get older are like are there starting to be people like that come up and become popular where you're like i just don't understand really so far um i think even the younger generation is like even if i don't necessarily hold them in high esteem Mm -hmm. like i get it you know like we've been there um that's fair why is there is there something particular you're thinking there's just tell me tell me tell me i want to know i want to know what's the what's the dish pete davidson i just don't get pete davidson in at all um Oh, he's got a whole life story. Have you looked into that? No, I, I that's that's fine. I like I'm it's not anything against like his life or what he's gone through. It's just that I don't I don't get why people think he's so funny. You know, uh, but have you watched um King of Staten Island? I haven't. And to be fair, part of that is because I've seen him on SNL and I'm like, I don't get it. And so that I would say watch me. that and like you kind of you know there's you know, there's some stuff I've watched it as I'm like, eh, not really. And then there's some stuff I've really liked and like there's stuff in between, but I think it was really great to watch King of Staten Island and okay. then like to read more about him. Um, but yeah, like I, I have watched some of his stand up and like some of his stuff. I'm like, hi, it's another stuff. I'm like, eh. <laughs> so, Fair enough. And he's, yeah. he's definitely a polarizing figure in that way. And I think that's okay to be a polarizing figure in comedy. I think some of the, to me, honestly, I think, Oh, sorry. No, go ahead. No, go for it. No, but to me, I think like it's harder with like the older people a lot of the times because they have like some of these outdated views or they don't like, you know, they don't understand things and they won't, they don't make it as funny about not understanding it as they could. Um, So I feel like I always appreciate a younger person in the room like making a joke like because then i'm like oh okay that's what's happening but this might go back to me wanting to like hit youtube trends and talk about popular things <laughs> and you being like all right let's rewatch abbott and costello <laughs> <laughs> i'm just imagining you like rewatching the greatest hits like on the weekend <laughs> i don't i just i have a really great memory so like i feel bad because like in our writers group like Somebody will write something and I'll be like, oh, you're doing this thing. And they'll be like, what are you talking about? I'm like, well, they did this. Um, Like this week we were talking about the mirror. Was it this week or the week before the mirror bit where it's like, you know, you're looking at your reflection, but then it's it's not doing the same thing. That was great that you could pull that up. Yeah, I'm like, that's been done. I'm like, it's great. It's a great thing, but it's been done. Like it's kind of going back to the who's on first kind of thing. Um, Mm -hmm. But you also brought up an interesting point about this idea of holding on to old ideas or um, right now. And it's a weird thing in the comedy community because there are people that are screaming that, that woke culture is killing comedy. And, and I mean, I know in my view, it's, it's the difference of, you know, being offensive or I don't even want to say being offensive, but like pushing the, the boundaries and, and pushing the limits for a reason I think just or the just time, the time for shock comedy is over like it's over and like okay you can keep trying to do it but if you don't understand that you know you're performing for an audience like if they don't go along with it like I'm sorry that's what's happening like you know like you are a person in the world at a certain time. Your art is going to be viewed a certain way if you mm-hmm. phrase it a certain way. That's the one of the hugest things I got out of Second City was to protect yourself in the setup, protect yourself in the scene, like make it so that the people watching can feel comfortable to laugh and can feel comfortable to understand this idea that you're putting forth. Like if you have mm-hmm. a problem with what's going on right now, yeah, express it, but like express it in a way that like you're not going to immediately cause everyone in the audience to like clam up and hate you. Mm-hmm. I, I just think that that's, you know, I I think everything, you know, people are like, are like, nothing should be off limits in comedy. And yeah, that's true. Nothing is off limits in comedy, but you have to like set it up. And you, it's, if you are a person who's in front of a bunch of people 
you have to learn how to actually talk to a bunch of people. That's, right. that's it. Well, yeah. And I, I think also and you, you talk about shock comedy, the, the idea of the shock value of something like you can be shocking, but you like there should be a point to it. And it should be, you know, something that pushes people to think about things, not just to get people to laugh because you, you made, you know, uh, a homophobic joke in front of a bunch of people who <laughs> who would laugh at that, you know, Um like it's like, you know, just for a great example, like Lenny Bruce, who was super offensive in his day, but he had a point. He was making a point yeah. with everything. Mm-hmm. You know, I think that's something yeah, that that's forget. all. That's a whole other thing, too, is like, what point are you making? Because a lot of these, you know, especially open mics, you come across people mm-hmm. who are like, oh, I just want to say this stuff, you know, and it's like, why? Like why you, and just to get a reaction is all they want. And so at that point, it's like, all right, but it's not funny. So, okay. Right. <laughs> I don't, that's, I'm going down a whole other. No, I, I, but it's, 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 it's an interesting topic and it's very kind of important right now because there is kind of this clash between those two ideas and, you know, there, I don't think there should be like, I think it's the same thing with Facebook. I think it's with everything. Everything's blown out of freaking proportion. We're mm-hmm. all human. And like, if we just take a second to like, come back to that moment and like respect each other, it's the same as like me respecting you as another human as me respecting people in the audience as other humans. It's like, you know, respect me as doing my art and I'll respect you as being legitimate people in my audience, you know? That's actually a very, very good way to put it. And I think that's, I think that's something we forget sometimes as performers or as comedians or as humans, you know? Yeah, it's really easy to, and like, I mean, I know I've made mistakes and like, sometimes I go back and I replay and I cringe at my mistakes. Um, And, you know, all you can do is try to learn from it. Yeah. Right, yeah. Welcome to my therapy uh, <laughs> session. Gonna <laughs> <laughs> write a whole sketch about about that now, like the the interviewee slash therapist. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what for a comedian or for what? I don't know. I'm just making stuff up. <laughs> oh, okay. All right. Uh, do you want to keep jazzing or what do you want? <laughs> Fair enough. I don't know. I just, we had a really good, just kind of like salient thing going on there and it kind of ended. And then it was just like, oh, um, now what? <laughs> so, um, oh, okay. No, 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 no. I just like, I've been thinking about more too. Like, mm-hmm. um, you know, what, you know, it's so weird because everyone's coming to everything with a different understanding and like mm-hmm. you know I've done stand-up sometimes and like even have like another comedian follow me like do like a snarky bit about me and it's like okay that's funny I guess but like the audience isn't laughing either so I don't know like you know like they're taking their personal shit and they're putting it on me and they're putting mm-hmm. on my act they're putting, you know what and I don't really want to do that and like I just try to like make my art um and have that happen and like I don't try to like drag others through the mud though there have been times especially on Facebook where I've done that and I regret it uh (laughs) but yeah I think in the end it's just we're all we're all people and like the quicker that we can like you know just accept that and like accept that people can like grow and move on and like there should be a little form that everyone signs that like I'm a stickler in the mud or I'm ready to grow and like once we see that like little light it's like how people say it should be like a single or like taken you know it should be like I'm a stickler in the mud about everything I think or I'm ready to grow and move on and so if you say something and you have ready to grow and move on on your like little box checked then like it should be like okay like let's just chat about it like we're trying to grow together that's all I think. Okay. All right. I'll get off my soapbox. That was kind of awesome, but also like, it just reminds me of the fact that like talking about you as a performer and as, as, as a, as a writer, I think 
one of the things that's very unique to you is you have such a positive energy with everything you do. Like it, that's not always easy in comedy or in, in life is, you know, is having such funny. a positive I'm energy. not funny. If I, if I talk, if I'm like not positive, I'm not funny. Okay. I, it's just me. Bitch. Well, it's like people will laugh during my bitch session sometimes, but like, if I get up there and I do like the ranting thing, mm-hmm. no one laughs. Fair enough. But it just, I also think it's just, yeah. it's because it's more, it's who you are. I think that's yeah. part of it too. Like you can't, I think that's another thing people don't understand about comedy is it, the honesty matters. And so like to, to try to do something that isn't really who you are doesn't work as well. Well, let me tell you something. You're talking to a girl who's wearing AirPod Pros, all right? <laughs> I got shit going for me, all right? I'm going to be returning these soon because they hurt. They hurt. But let me tell you, I'm the <laughs> fucking elite right now, okay? <laughs> That's what everyone on this podcast needs to understand. I'm elite. I'm wireless. And even though my ears are really hurting and turning red and I keep taking one out while we're talking and I'll put the other one in like (laughs) I'm elite. Okay. (laughs) You can't take this away from me. I'm no longer a digital peasant. Okay. All right. No longer a digital peasant. Vicky Eisenstein. All right. Okay. I used that phrasing about the digital peasant on Twitter and I'm really mad that it didn't go further. Wow, I'm surprised because it's a really great phrase. That's fantastic. Great phrase. Great right. phrase. But you know what? There's no accounting for people's taste. Mm. I just said we should respect our audience, but no, I can't <laughs> respect them anymore. At least, <laughs> at least not on Twitter. Fair enough. No, no, none of those Twitteratis. <laughs> well, I think I think we should wrap up on that um, magnificent point. Um yeah, uh, are there are there places people can find you uh, to find your videos, uh, social media stuff like that? Okay, so you're gonna want to go to Reno, Nevada, and then you're gonna drive. There's this road where there's like there's this cactus line. So you're gonna take that. When you get to the very end of that, you'll see a fault mm-hmm. line. You follow that fault line for 50 paces. You make a okay. right. You keep going. There'll be a jackrabbit by a cactus. Okay, that's how you'll know that then you're going to have to start digging. So you're going to dig 50 meters down is where you will discover clink. There's going to be a hatch. So you go in that hatch and then you're going to find a river, an underground river, and you keep going on that river in a boat. And at this point, I've totally lost you, but that's fine. Um, so yeah, basically at Vicky Comedy, V-I-C-K-I-E Comedy um, on any platform that you like, I'm probably there. If I'm not there, don't take the name. Cause it's mine. Too late. I just did. That's why I hate you. This is fair. I never agreed to this podcast. Well, Vicki Eisenstein, <laughs> thank you so much for joining me tonight. Um, <laughs> it has been a very interesting, sometimes, uh, odd but also fantastic uh discussion and conversation what was odd about this discussion uh that one point i thought it was great everything about it was like a beautiful like mozart symphony it was it had its ebb and flow and there was some drama and some lighter parts and Mm -hmm. um a lot of uh salieri standing in the background being grumpy so it was perfect yeah he was kind of getting himself (laughs) off there wasn't he yeah, I, that guy's so weird. <laughs> but once again, thank you for joining me. Uh, thank you to all our listeners. Um, if you if you are enjoying Connected, please rate and review us on iTunes. Uh, we really appreciate that. Uh, just five, that five stars. Star five yes. stars. And leave a comment and say how much you loved, particularly this episode with Vicki Eisenstein. Tam, wasn't it good? So right? good. Yep. You can also follow Size Street Studio Arts on all of our social media. We even have a TikTok now. I I haven't been on there, but we do have one. Um, Double and... tap for the heart. Oh, is that how that works? Yeah. yeah. Perfect. I think. Um, no, I don't. Remember. I might be doing Instagram. Don't. No. Stop. Don't do anything. Hold that. Read the instructions before you do anything. Yeah, just read the instructions, please. <laughs> um, and you can tune in every Wednesday for a new new episode. Connected. Uh, I'm Nick Mataragas, and uh, stay connected. Connected is a Side Street Studio Arts production.
Music by Tanner Melvin. Produced by Nick Mataragas. To find out more about Connected and all the great things Sightstreet Studio Arts offers, please visit sightstreetstudioarts.org.